it has been a good week. Uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed last week. Those of you who were able to, to make it, we had Walker Moore here. And uh, while Walker was here, he challenged us and um, challenged us about obedience and taking those steps. And I just have a whole bowl full of yeses in my office, actually. And if uh, you were here last week, you saw people tearing off the piece of paper to say yes and laying their yes at the altar, even though they didn't know exactly what God was calling them to do. They were saying, yes, I would do it. And uh, then we followed that up with a baptism. Uh, and we had to get, got a chance to baptize seven people last week. And, uh, you know, not that uh, baptizing adults is any more important than kids, but there's something that's really cool about seeing an adult step forward and say, yes, I'm going to be a follower of Christ. And we had, uh, had a number of adults and kids step forward to do that. And uh, last week, as, uh, as Walker Moore spoke, it wasn't like I called him up and said, hey, Walker, what I need you to do is I need you to fit a message that fits into uh, this follow me that we've been going through. Can you do that for me? He actually came and said, hey, I've got this message about um, following Jesus in obedience. Is that going to be all right? And I said, I think that's going to be just fine. And uh, uh, he actually uh, very much uh, repeated the same thing. I want to see if you remember what he said. He said this, my next heartbeat will be a heartbeat of what? Obedience. And that was one of the things that we really talked about. The idea of laying the yes down there. Now, I hope, I hope that it was more than just an emotional response. Um, it's easy to get caught up in that. I did youth ministry for a long time. And, you know, the, the best time in a youth ministry summer camp to, to have people come forward is on Thursday night. And there's one reason why. Because they're exhausted. They have stayed up way too late for four days in a row, and uh, they are exhausted. And you can ask them to come forward and give their lives to Christ and go be a missionary in Arkansas wearing a Speedo. And they would do it because they are just that wiped out. And they'll step forward to, with that emotional response. So I, I hope that last week with the yeses, it wasn't just an emotional response. It was something that we went home with. We said, you know what, how can I best lead a life of obedience? How can I best follow Christ? And, you know, we've been going through this, Gospels, what's the point? And it's been going on for a long time. But the cool thing is, is, is we're unpacking, <coughs> we're unpacking all these things that Jesus has said and, and really taking a new look at it. Because I, I grew up, I, I didn't grow up from the time of being a baby, you know, in the church, but I grew up from about age 12 of being in the church from on. So I've heard all the stories. I didn't get involved in all the flannel graph that some of you guys may have, but we've seen all the stories. We've seen the way it all, all kind of plays out. And sometimes we just have this vision of that's the way it is, and that's the way it's always been. And, you know, but now we're kind of taking this unfolding and seeing a whole new look at the way the gospels really came out and what Jesus is doing through it all. Because we said, you know, the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. The New Testament points back at Jesus. But but with Jesus being the central point, what was his plan? What was he doing? What's the point of him being the Gospels? And the one was to live and to die and to set an example of obedience and being obedient to the Father. But the other thing was, is while he lived, he was pouring into 12 guys. 12 guys he was pouring his life into. And, and we look at that and we think about, you know, we have been created. We have been created to impact the nations for the glory of Christ. And how is that going to happen? Well, it started out with these 12 guys. It started out with these 12 guys being poured into. And, and I look at that and I think, wow, what does exactly does it mean to be a follower of Christ? To be a Christian. You know, the, before the word Christian came out, the, the people who followed Christ were actually called followers of the way. And the word Christian kind of came from that. So what does it mean to really be a follower of the way? And it's funny because I, I got to thinking and um, a lot of times you think, well, I'm saved. We're good. We do what we got to do right here, and, and, and it's, it's kind of our thing. But how do, we, how do we get the word out? How do we share that with other people? How do we make sure that that next heartbeat we have is actually a heartbeat of obedience without saying, well, God, I'm just not quite sure if I'm supposed to do that or not. Uh, went to an evangelism conference this week. It was over at uh, Hoffmantown Church. And in the process of being over there, uh, one of the speakers was talking about Acts 1.8. And if you've been in church for a while, maybe you want to know this verse. Maybe you don't. Uh, maybe you haven't heard it before. But it seems to be kind of the battle cry for most churches. And I want to read it for you, and I want you to follow along here, uh, if you would. But Acts 1.8 is one of those things. It's, it's Jesus' last things before he ascends up into the heavens, and he, and he tells us this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see Jesus talking here, and he, and he says that, and it's a battle cry for the church to say, hey, we need to go be witnesses. What's a witness? What, what is it that we need to do? It, it's somebody who shares Christ, right? It's, it's somebody who shares the gospel, shares the word with people. The guy at the evangelism conference pointed something out, though. 
as you read through Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said the actual Greek word is not translated right. It's not translated into our, our language right because our language makes it kind of a soft word. The actual Greek word is martyr. And I went, no. No, you can't be. That can't be right. I failed Greek, but th- there's no way that that could be it because I've been listening to this verse forever. That was our church's verse when I was in junior high and high school to, to be witnesses and go because to change that word to martyr changes that whole thing around, doesn't it? Because listen to what it would say otherwise. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my martyrs in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Do you think that'd be a good promotional statement to, uh, to attract people to the church? sounds a little easier to call it witnesses, but when we call it martyrs, it changes everything. So I went, and I got online, and I looked at the Greek interlinear Bible, and I went through, and I'm like, okay, Acts 1-8, looking at it, and I just looked down, da, 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 da. yep, sure enough, witnesses are supposed to be martyrs. That kind of changes everything. And, and how does that change us? That, look at the definition of martyr. A person who is killed because of their religious or other beliefs. Mm. Let's put that in there now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be the people who are killed because of your religious beliefs in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Welcome to church, everybody. Come on in. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a whole different way to look at it. Yet that's the, that's the Greek word that is there. And we see that and it gives us a whole different view of what the church should be because we have this idea of, of what church is and we, we tie it into the idea of, well, it, it's where we come and we hang out and we have fellowship for an hour and we... We, uh, some of us get up at 9 o'clock, and, um, and, and we go and we do our thing and we go home. But that verse kind of changes everything. kind of changes it to say it's not just about us coming and hanging out, but it's about us giving our lives. And that's a, that's a big thing to give. That kind of changes even the way I look at church, even the way that I would want to do it. And, and when Jesus came, what did he do? He came, he lived, and he what? He died. And he set that example for us that we need to be willing to give it all. That doesn't make church easy. And we're walking through this, this idea of the Gospels, and we parked on follow me. And as we parked on follow me, we started saying what Jesus is calling us to do is, is follow him and be his disciple and then turn around and make a disciple. We said there's some components to disciple making. And two weeks ago, we talked about sharing the word, about our job is to share the word. Our job is to, to take the word out there and share it. So here's a question I have for you. Maybe uh, you can, you can kind of uh, process this for a second. But how many of us in this room were led to Christ by somebody else? How, how many people were led to Christ by somebody? Okay, so the good majority of us. I mean, it, it's rare to say that I was just sitting in my bed and Jesus came to me and he spoke to me and there was this angel over my bed and he said, hey, you need to follow Christ, and I did. You know, that, that's, a, that's a very rare thing, and if it is, I, we need to check on that. But um, if that's the case, how do people outside of this room come to faith in Jesus? How do people outside of the church come to faith in Jesus? By us telling them. By us sharing the word. And we see that, and we talked about the fact that is probably the first non-negotiable in disciple-making. is us sharing the word. There's a second part that I want to share with you this morning, and that is this. And as a matter of fact, just be glad, because um, as of Saturday morning, I had two things I wanted to share, and then I realized it was going to be about an hour and a half, so I cut the second one, we'll talk about it next week. So just for you guys, yeah, amen, praise God, that's right. So um, uh, the second component of, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't think you want me to fix the second one. Um, the, uh, the idea of not just sharing the word, but showing the word. Showing the word, and this came up, Michael and I were just talking about it even this morning, but showing the word came up in our, in our disciple, or our, our men's Bible study class on, on uh, Friday morning. We got into, in, into 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15, when, it says, when Paul says, you know what, uh, I'm not there yet, but what I want you to do is I want you to be the family of God, to be the ones that show the word. And we said, what does that even look like? And what's the, what's the point in all of that? See, Jesus is talking, we've been going through John chapter 17. So if you have your finger still in your Bible there, go ahead and open that back up. John chapter 17, starting in verse 6. And we're going to unpack this because this is Jesus praying with his disciples. And he's showing how to make disciples. How to, to take it on. Because he's getting ready to leave. This is the end of the chapter. He's getting ready to leave. And this is what it says. John chapter 17, verse 6, starting in verse 6 through verse 12. It says, I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of this world. This is Jesus praying. They were yours, and you gave them to me, 
and they've obeyed your word. And as he's praying, obviously he's talking to the Father. He says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that it came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who set the example for us to follow. Help us to have that next heartbeat as a heartbeat of obedience as you speak to us, even on this very morning. We pray it all in your name. Amen. See, we talked two weeks ago about how Jesus has given us people. He's given us people to, to invest in our lives. See, you guys are able to influence people that I cannot. And I'm able to influence the people that you are not. Because God has given us people in our lives, in our sphere of influence, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, in our families, in our, that, that will listen to you. And that is who we are to share the word with. But also, we're supposed to show the word to them. And I want to see how that part of sharing the word with them involves showing the word to them. And how those things tie together. Because I think about people that God's entrusted us and what that means. And how does that all happen? Well, the first thing we need to do is this. We need to display his character to them. Display his character to them. And I want you to see how it unfolds. Because from the very beginning, where we read there in verse 6, it says this. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. And when it says, I have revealed you, it kind of breaks down the idea. Some of your translations might actually say, your name. And some might even say, your character. Because that's who it is. That's who Jesus is. He, He is God revealing God's character to men. And he's revealing that out there. And he said, I revealed who you are to them. And in the Old Testament, I want you to think about this. How did God reveal himself? How did God connect with his people? Well, he was in the tabernacle and he was in the temple and people were able to interact with him. Well, when Jesus came, how did that change? Jesus was God up close and personal. Jesus was God revealing himself face to face in the person of Christ. He said, you know what? Here I am, and I'm revealing myself to you. And he prays to God. He says, I have done this. I have revealed your character through me to them. In the Old Testament, when Moses is talking to God, and Moses says, who who should I tell them sent me? How does God answer? I am. Tell them the I am sent you. I am. And I never really caught on to this until recently as, as you read through the things that Jesus says in the New Testament. If Jesus is revealing the character of, of God to these people up close and personal, do you think it's coincidence that when the hungry come, he says in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life to those who are hungry. In John eight twelve, he says, I am the light of the world to the blind. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd who cares for his people. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life to Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus. In John 14, when people are saying, how do we get there? How are we going to stumble through this life? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you think there's any coincidence there that when God sit, revealed himself, he said, I am sent you? And when he is revealing himself through Christ, Christ uses I am. Do you think it's coincidence? I don't think it is. I think it's because God is being revealed through Jesus Christ. His character is being revealed through it. Now, here's a problem. The problem comes up in John 17, 11, when Jesus says this, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. This is Jesus talking to God, saying, I'm about to leave here. Well, if Jesus is God revealed up close and personally, he's about to leave, who's supposed to do it next? How does God continue to be revealed? Well, it's the disciples. That's the reason why Jesus poured into them. That's the reason why he was, he was pouring out his life this way. See, the, the disciples, that's, that's the next step. And guess what? That's where you and I come in. That's where you and I come in because we're to reveal God to other people. And you're like, wait a second, what do you mean? If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see as disciples of Christ, we are all his representatives in this world. 
We are all his representatives, not just super Christians, not just the ones who laid yes even down here on the altar last week. We are all his representatives. We are the ones that people see God through. Like I said, how many of us were led to the Lord by somebody else? Almost all of us, if not all of us. So how do the people outside this room meet who Jesus is, meet who God is, and see his character? Are they going to see it on TV? Are going to see it in DVDs? You know, maybe if they go see the Son of God, they might have some questions. Maybe if they watch the Bible miniseries, they might have some things. But how are they really going to see the character of God? And that's through us. That is what we are here for. God has entrusted us, and it's a huge responsibility. But how do we do that? How do we show his perfect patience? How do we show his unending love? How do we show his mercy? How do we show his grace? How do we do these things? Because if I went out there right now and said, hey, I want you to see the church. I want you to come to the church. I want you to be a part of the church. And I was just talking to any average non-Christian, anybody who doesn't go to church, doesn't want anything to do with church. Why do they not want anything to do with church? It's because what the church has stood for for way too long. And that's an us versus them. That's you have to do all these good things in order to be accepted here. You have to do this in order to have this. That's not the message that Christ came and he, he did. He poured out his grace, he poured out his mercy, and it was all coming down through God. So how do we do that? That same evangelism conference, there was a question that was asked during a Q&A panel. One of the guys said, how, how do we, as a church and as an individual, reach a culture that finds us irrelevant? How do we do it? And the question answer panel, you know, that guy Walker Moore that was here last week, evangelist. Uh, Sean McDowell, whose dad is Josh McDowell, apologist, debates atheism, all those kind of great, mind-blowing, you know, intelligence. They sat there going, huh. And they kind of danced around the question and went on. And you're like, wait a second. We didn't answer the question. How do we as a church, how do we as an individual reach a culture that finds us irrelevant? And the answer is this, we be real. We be real. Because way too often in the church, we come in with a facade. We have a mask on. And that mask is us not being real. Everybody in the church has it all together, right? Wrong. But that's what we want everybody to think, correct? We want everybody on a Sunday morning. We want everybody on a Saturday night. We want everybody when we run into them at the, to seem like we have it all together. I remember one of the first times that... that uh, Christian and I got into uh, not a, a full fight, but it was an argument in the store over paper towels um, on what print to use or not to have prints on it. And we were like, oh, you know, kind of going back and forth. And this lady walks up, an older lady, she's like, hey, Pastor Matt. And I went, what? We, we live way out far away from our church. We didn't live anywhere near it. And I'm like, how does, what? Hang on. And it was kind of one of those moments that you're like, no, oh, we're supposed to have this facade on that everything's okay, that we're okay about choosing paper towels and which ones are right. And, and uh, you know, it, it became very real. So we have to be real in order to reach people. We have to let people understand that we struggle with suffering. We have to understand that, let people understand that we struggle with sin. But there's a God who is more powerful than both of those things to help us get through. And that's what we need to understand. See, those things is what they're going to see in me. We reveal God's character to them through us. It's demonstrated in them through us. But how do we do it? How are they going to see it? See, God was different. Jesus was different. We're not like them. They're, they're perfect. We are not. How do we do that? Well, guess what? Second thing is, is not only is supposed to reveal that, he has given us all of his resources. He has given us all of his resources. See, everything that Jesus revealed to the disciples, the Father had given him. Verse 10 says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Verse 11 says, holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me. Verse 12 says, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. So Jesus was given all the resources by God. Well, guess what? As he lived here for three years, he poured those out to us. And the point is, is that he says, I have given them your word, them being us. Jesus gave us his word. And it went down from there. We see that he's given them, uh, them being us, the glory in verse 22. In verse 23, it says, I am in them and you in me. So it says that he's giving us God. And then it says, by that, it looks all the way down to verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. See, Jesus' whole ministry and this whole process of disciple making was him 
pouring into us. And that was by disciples. Because he hinged his entire life on these disciples to go out and share. And those guys that they share with to go out and share. And those guys to share. And those guys to share. And it goes down. And guess what? That's why we sit here. That's why we are here. That's what we're a result of. And we say, well, you know, I, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't know. And I, I looked and say, Jesus is, this prayer in chapter 17 is, is really the result of a long conversation that starts back in 15. And he's having this conversation with them and saying, you know, there's going to be people that hate you. There's going to be people that don't like you. And they say, well, how are we supposed to get through this? What are you giving us? And he says in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that your joy may be in you, or that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made complete. He says, we're talking about this, and I'm telling you this, and I've been pouring into you for three years for a reason, so that your joy may be complete. Let me ask you a question. What, what gives you joy? What gives you joy? Because my guess is, you're like me. And there's things of this earth that give you joy. There's things of this earth that, that make you happy. And that's cool. That's all good. But the thing is, if we rely on that alone, that's a problem. Because those things are temporary. What's the one thing that's eternal? What's the one thing that cannot be taken from us? And that is the joy that Christ has given us. We have to remember that. And he goes on, even in verse, uh, in, I'm sorry, yeah, in verse 33 of chapter 16, he also says this. I have told you these things so that, in me, you may have peace. What brings you peace? That goes along with that joy. There's a lot of things we could say gives us peace. If you have kids, it's a very temporary thing. Because peace doesn't last very long. When we look at the temporary things that are giving us peace. But if we look at Christ, he's the one thing that, that lasts forever. And it goes on. It, it goes back to chapter 14. Look what he says here. Look what else he gives us. He says, verse, 14, uh, sorry, verse 16 of chapter 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That is what I give you. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and that you are in me and I am in you. See, that's the picture. It's that Jesus gave us everything he had right down to the counsel of the Holy Spirit to be in our life to help us with this. The question is, are we going to step up and take responsibility to reveal his character through us to them? Because that's our, that's our job. And it goes back to that question last week. The next heartbeat is a heartbeat of obedience, correct? And, and if that is what we're supposed to do, are we going to do it? Are we going to take that responsibility? See, our culture knows what we stand for. Because we're very, very good at speaking that out. They know what we're against. We're very good at speaking that out. But you know what they don't want to hear? They don't want to hear that. Because they already know it. You know what they want to see? You know what they want to have revealed to them? They want to have revealed to them the liberal, generous grace of the mercy of the Almighty God. That's what they want to see. That's what they long to see. That's what they need to see. They need to see who God is and that God loves them. That's what their heart wants. And it was Jesus' whole message. That's what the Gospels is all about. See, the Gospels wasn't Jesus saying, all right, I want you 12 to gather around. And I know you guys want to know the character of God, so I'd like you to pull out your stone tablets because we're going to chisel some stuff here, okay? The first thing we need to understand is this, is that God is Jehovah Jireh. Write that down. That means he's the provider, okay? That is our class for today. We'll see you next Sunday. No, he didn't do that. Instead of saying that he's a provider, he showed that he's a provider. His life lived out providing for others. And it's the word up close and personal and, and interacting with us. And guess what? That's our job to do as well for others. It isn't for us to tell people that this is the way it happens. It's for us to take it. We need to have our lives be a demonstration that accompanies our explanation. Our lives need to be a demonstration that accompanies our explanation. Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't that make our testimony that more real? To see that there is a God that can save you from the mess that you came from? Because you know what? A lot of people look at me and they say, I know, Matt, you look perfect. I understand that. I, I, I give off that aura sometimes. I apologize. But I'm not. Never walked on water before. Never uh, had the perfect life. I have my struggles. I have my temptations. I have my past, just like you do. But you know what? God, in his power, in his mercy, in his grace, in his love, brings me 
to where I am now. And he is still changing me every day. You want to find out faults? Just talk to my kids for five minutes. They'll let you know my faults. And, And that is the reality of it all. We need to let people see that we are not perfect. But God is changing us. And God is working in us. And God is making us who he wants us to be. And we can't just say it. We need to show it. I'm going to embarrass you here for a second, Christy, okay? Um, this week, this, yeah, she said tell, for her me to tell her she should get up and leave. Uh, but the, uh, the thing is, this week, uh, we, uh, the boys are on a swim team. And I think it's a Mormon swim team except for us. Um, and, and she sits in the, in the, in the bleachers with, uh, with all the parents. And throughout the time that we've been there, she's built some relationships with some of these, some of these moms that are there. These Mormon moms that, that we've had great discussions with, back and forth, back and forth. Well, on, on Friday, one of the moms came up and for two hours just asked questions, asked questions, asked questions. Because we invited her to come to the baptism last week. It's the same place we do the swim team at. It's the same place we did the baptisms at. thought, hey, come and swim with us. It'll be fun. And, uh, uh, you know, th- we, uh, they, they weren't able to come. It was their Sunday fast. I don't quite understand the Mormon uh, faith, but they had a, they had a Sunday fast, fast that they, they don't do anything on. And so um, they weren't able to come. So they sat down with Christy on Friday and asked questions about, hey, what is the purpose of baptism? You know, the Mormon purpose of baptism is kind of this way. But, but what is the purpose of, of the baptism that you guys go through? And why do adults do it? And why do kids do it? And that is a huge door that just opened up. But why? Is it because when we walked in, we said, oh, it's all Mormons. Don't really want to talk to them. I'm thinking we're going to separate. We're going to sit on this far side of the bleachers so we don't have to interact with them. No, see, it's because there was an interaction that took place. And there was a, there was a hey, we're real people. And you're real people. And we can talk. And we can interact. And we can check. And we can, we can ask questions of each other. As a matter of fact, that same family that asked all the questions is attending anchor church this morning which is a a friend of mine's church plant on the other side of town and because their neighbors go to that and they uh they were invited and somehow some way the doors opened up for them to say hey what we're gonna we're gonna skip mormon church this morning we're gonna go over to anchor church and actually text my friend say change your message now you got some you got some people coming in that you have to hit i said tag you're it And, and, and that's exactly it. It's about showing a life. It's about living a life. It's about relating to people. It's, not, it's about being real. That is how we reach people. That is it. And, you know, we said we have to display our character to them. The second thing is we have to live for his glory through them. Live for his glory through them. And, and that's, a, that's a huge thing. As we display his character, we also have to live for his glory through them. The next two verses we look at in chapter 17 are verses 9 and 10. And it says this. There are verses we could almost skip over, but it says, Jesus says, I pray for them. And he's talking about the disciples. I am not praying for the world, but those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me through them. See, there's, two, there's bookends here on these two verses. First, it starts off with, I pray for them, and it ends up with, glory comes to me through them. I pray for them, and glory comes to me through them. See, that is, that's where it all comes down to. Jesus is pouring himself into these guys because he knows that by pouring himself and then revealing himself through them, there's going to be glory that comes from it, glory that comes to the Father. And that's what it's about. It's about showing that. And how did it start? Well, it was by Jesus focusing on him. We set our focuses on the people that we're, we're praying for, that we're investing in, because we know that that's the next step. That's, that's where it's going to go. He said, I'm praying for these 12 guys. He said, I'm not even praying for the world. Didn't he come to die for the world? Why is he not praying for the world? Because it wasn't about that big amphitheater having a huge crowd following saying, hey, I need you all to do this and putting on a big show. He had that. He had people following by the thousands. Yet, he focused on the 12 to pour into their lives. And he focused on it and said, I pray for them. And in Jesus' ministry, you know, it's a little bit surprising here in verse 12. He's, you think if you had a week left, you're going to cram in as much as you can. But what's he do? He goes up into an upper room and he prays with his 12 guys. You think, he's had three years with these guys. Why do I need to keep pouring into him? Because he understood that everything hinged on them. He saw the world through them, and he realized he's staking his very life on them. He saw the world through them, and he realized he's staking his entire life on them. He understood that they had a sphere of influence that they were going to be able to reach. There's a group of people that he knew they were going to be able to reach. 
and pour into. And then that group would pour into, and that group would pour into. It would be a, a giant pyramid scheme. And we'd get everybody wrapped up into it, right? But that's what it was, and that's why we sit here today. That is the reason it, because he saw the world through them, and he staked his very life on them. Let's fast forward 2,000 years. When we say we're pouring into people, generally with the, the idea of discipleship in a church, what is it? The idea of discipleship in a church, it's a program. It's an hour a weekend. It's a Sunday school class. It's a connection group. It's a small group Bible study. It, it's an hour long. Was Jesus' an hour long? Did he say, hey guys, our hour's up. I'll see you next Sunday. It's great to have you. No, it was a lifestyle. The world was his classroom. And we're going to get into that more next week because our next week that, that was going to be this week is, is teaching the word. And I know the first thing you think is, oh, I'm not a teacher. When we show the word, we teach the word. And we're going to get into that a little bit more next week. But our Christian life really is pouring into others. And it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. If you have kids, you understand that. When your kid comes out of the womb, it's not like you dump all the information you have on them and say, all right, good luck. No, there's a progress and a process of growing and learning and eventually they get to the point where they are investing in another young child and they are growing and they are learning. And, and if you're grandparents, you understand that and you see the way that happens. It doesn't happen overnight. Well, it's the same way in Christianity. It's the same way in discipleship. Even though we've tried to make it a fad where it's a quick hurry up thing, it's not. And Jesus proves it. It's a day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment investing in people. And Jesus isn't the only one talking about it here. See, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. If you want to flip over there, you'll see it. Now, there's, there's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 ends at verse 33. And I'm not sure who decided how to break up chapters and verses in the Bible because it originally was just written as a letter. But a lot of times we stop in chapter 10 and we forget that chapter 11, verse 1, really fits right in with it. Look what, look what Paul's saying about this pouring into other people, about being a disciple and making a disciple. Verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be what? Saved. I, I'm doing this so they can be saved. I'm focusing on them so that they can be saved. I am pouring into them so they can be saved. But there's a really cool verse. Like I said, that's verse 33, chapter 10. We kind of told you, okay, I read chapter 10. Look at what verse 11 says. Big, bold statement. Big, scary statement that I'm going to ask you if you could ever say. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Some of your translations say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How many of us are willing to say that this morning? How many of us could walk out to our, our, our workplaces? How many of us could walk into our classrooms? How many of us could take that step and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ? Follow my example. See Christ in me. See his character revealed through me. How many of us can say that? I got to say I can't. I can't say that I want somebody following me so close that they repeat what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing, ugh, I can't say that I'm exactly following Christ in all areas. How did Paul get to that point? How did he understand that? See, that is, that's what we're supposed to say. Because that is the essence of Christianity. It's not just a moment. Either where Paul's feeling confident because he talks about it all through the book of Philippians. Follow me as I follow Christ. We display his character for them to see. We live for his glory for them to see. And the next thing is this. We nurture his holiness in them. We nurture his holiness in them. Go, go, go back to John 17. Verse 11 says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Then he uses two words that he doesn't say any other time. In all the Gospels, he says, Holy Father. Holy Father. Why does he say Holy Father here and not anywhere else? Is it because he finally realizes that God's holy? For three years of living and doing ministry, oh, you know what, I think God's holy. No, that, that wasn't it. That wasn't what Jesus said. But he was emphasizing his holiness. He was emphasizing his holiness, but why? Because he goes on to pray this, protect them by the power of your name, your holy name. 
the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. See, he has lived and nurtured this holiness in them. And now he wants God to continue to pour that holiness to him and keep him solid in that very area of their lives. It's about the character. It's about revealing that to him. See, we're seeing a contrast between the disciples and the world here. There's a contrast there. There is a holiness there. And holiness actually means to be set apart, to be separated, to be sanctified. And sometimes we can look at that word as, as a church and say, okay, well, what that means is, is that we need to do our holy huddle right in here and not have anybody else come in. We need to stay separated from everybody else. And in part, that is kind of what it's saying. But when it becomes our extreme, that's a problem. As a matter of fact, there's two extremes that we see when it comes to holiness. The first one is, is total separation from the world. It's about being completely and totally separated. We don't want to do anything with them. We don't want to talk to them. We don't want to have any sort of interaction with them whatsoever. And there are churches that are like that. As a matter of fact, I heard of a church that had a, a, a meeting this last Wednesday about should we work on changing to invite people to our church. And there was a division in the church about whether we should let people in or not. Whether we should go out and evangelize. That was the discussion that took place. I don't know what else, I can't share it all with you, but this, that in my mind makes me sick to my stomach. That a church would have to have a discussion on whether or not we need to evangelize or not. It's crazy. Crazy talk. And that is the first part of it all. But the other side of that, that extreme coin is this total saturation in the world. Because some people think, well, the best way for us to reach the world is completely saturate ourselves in it. But when there's no difference between a Christian and a non-Christian in somebody's eyes, that is a problem. That is a problem. And you're like, well, you said be real. If you said be real, how is that supposed to happen? Well, if we're going to be effective, we need to be in the world, but not like the world. We need to be in the world, not of the world. That's what actually it says in verse 13 and 14 of John chapter 17. Be in the world, but not of the world. Well, what does that mean? It means we live in the world and we let them see who we are and we let them see that, yes, we were once sinners. Yes, we were once covered in suffering and we didn't know how to deal with it, but we now serve a God who is powerful enough to overcome sin and suffering. And that God that we serve is changing us. Are we perfect? By no means. But we are God's. And He is changing us and He's making us. See, when it comes to sin and when it comes to suffering, we have these holy lives that we want to live, but people need to understand that we have come from something else and that we still struggle. And that's where the, the be real part comes in. And this idea of all these things that Jesus is talking about. Guess what? We're going to suffer. Guess what? We're going to be tempted. Guess what? We're going to sin. But we need to be separated from that. We need to be going to the holiness part of it all. And, and I shouldn't even say we should be separated from it. We just need to understand that we need to deal with it in a different way that the world deals with it. And, and that's where we at. And you know, how often is it that we look and say, how did God reveal his character through Jesus to us? It was through his life, but also through his what? His death. That he was obedient, that he was following, that he was doing these things. And as we look at that, the, the fact that, that he displayed it through his death means if Jesus suffered, guess what? We're probably going to have to suffer. And that's a hard thing to, to do because as a church, if we're going to reach people, we have to understand that we're going to suffer. Because there's people out there that are suffering that need to see God revealed through suffering. And that's kind of a hard thing to think about because well, we live in a, in a church of affluence. We live in, a, in an age that if we want to get something, well, we, we just go get it. Because this morning I read an article uh, about 33... Uh, North Koreans that had contact with the missionaries and are now set to be executed. Not that they gave their lives to Christ, but because they just they had a contact with a Baptist missionary from South Korea. And they're set to be executed. That is that's crazy. But we live in a world over here that you know, we don't even think about it. We don't even we don't even worry about it. You know, there's going to be suffering. And there, there's going to be things that come up. We need to understand that his character is revealed in the middle of suffering. How do we deal with suffering? How do we show God through those kind of things? And that leads us, I think, to a couple of questions. Because when it comes to suffering, it means we're probably going to have to sacrifice something. Something's going to be put on the altar. But it, like I said, it leads us to a few questions. Here they are. Who has God given you to show the word to? 
how can you show the worth? And the third one is, is what do you need to sacrifice in order to show them your worth? And you might be thinking, well, I don't understand the sacrifice part of it all. See, there's a total sacrifice for the world that, that, that we need to give. Jesus obviously sacrificed for the world. But how do we reach people? How do we be different when we're in that world? Well, there might be some sins that we need to sacrifice. Because if they can't tell the difference between us and them, they're not going to see the glory of Christ and what he can do. How do we sacrifice for the world? What do we sacrifice for the world? How do we show God's character to this community and to the world? What do we need to put on the altar? See, Romans chapter 12, it tells us that we need to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. You know, there's a lot of people that will say a question to me or ask a question to me, and that is, Matt, I don't know what God's will for my life is. How do I know what God's will for my life is? And the answer I'd give you is right here. It's all found in here. And maybe I sh- shouldn't use the word all. 95% of it's found in here. Because when you say, well, I don't know what God's will for me. I don't know what school I need to go to. I don't know who I need to marry. I don't know these things and details like that. That's probably the extra 5%. But if you know the 95% of what God's will is, and that is to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for him, I think the other 5% is easily answered and easily found, easily heard in what God would have us do. When we're in the word and we're listening to him and we're, we're seeing what he has to say to us, it changes everything. When we lay those things on the altar and say, God, I don't want me to get in the way of you. I don't want my plans to get in the way of your plans. I don't want my sin to get in the way of you reaching out to to people. I want to lay those things on an altar. That's a hard thing to do. And I asked Jerome, I said, hey, can we sing a song in between my messages? Now it's at the end. Uh, Can we sing a song that really just makes us think about that? And Jerome came up uh, with one that we've sang many times. It's that give me faith to trust what you say. Because that's really what it boils down to. That, uh, that idea of obedience, that one heartbeat of obedience, it's about, about having faith that, that God really knows what he's doing. That God really is in control and I am not. And that I am just a tool to be used. I am just an instrument in his hands. And the thing is, we need to have faith and we need to have obedience to actually follow through with that. And that's, that's hard. So, I'm going to ask Jerome to come up, and I'm going to pray. And, and I would just ask that as you sing this song, make it a prayer to God that he would just give us the faith to trust him in what he says and, and what he does and what he's going to use us to do, that not only do we need to share the word with them, but that we need to show the word to them by revealing his character through us and getting our character and our junk out of the way so he can. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the example that he set. Thank you for the life that he lived and the death that he died. God, help us. Help us to not just share the word with our mouth, but show the word in our lifestyle. To show your amazing grace and how it has changed who we are. Because that's that's exactly it. That is what you've called us to be as a disciple, to be changing in you and to show that to other people so they could say, I want that. I need that. I want to see my life change like that. God, help us to be that way. Give us faith today to trust what you say. We pray it in your name. Amen. Soften 
give me faith to trust what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life I need you to soften my heart your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, you never will. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, you never will. Give me faith to trust what you say. That your good, your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. Give me faith. You give me faith to trust what you say. That your good. Your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, you never may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. Give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good, your love is great. I'm broken. God, give us faith to trust what you say. To reach a community for you by not just sharing the word, but showing the word in our actions. God, give us the people. Connect us, even this week. Pray it in your name, amen. Um, I'm going to share one more story with you, if that's all right. That's what I think uh, Walker Moore said, maybe went about 20 more minutes last week. But um, I promise I won't do that to you. I was asked uh, just a, about a week or two ago, why don't we have a sign on the outside of our building um, over here in the front, like the farmer signs, that big giant one there. Why don't we have a big Paragon sign out there in the front of the building? And I said, well, a couple of reasons for it. Number one is it costs about five grand. Uh, and I said, I, I just... I just don't think five grand is a, a good investment for a sign on the side of a building that, you know, we have a year and a half lease here. God only knows what we're going to do in a year and a half. We may stay. We may go. We, we're not sure yet. But, you know, to, to make a $5,000 investment for a sign. And he, they said, well, how are you going to get people inside the building? And I kind of 
I thought mean thoughts, and then I thought nice thoughts, and I answered nicely. So um, the, uh, the, the thing that I said was, is I, I just want to say you, but I didn't. I, I, said, I said, well, let me, let me just put it to you this way. Um, on Southern and Unser, it's blown up in the last five years. I'm not sure if you've noticed that or not. Um, but I said, tell me, tell me all the restaurants that are at, at Southern and Unser in the general vicinity. It's like, well, I know there's a Chili's there, and there's a, um, you know, there's a, I think there's a five guys behind Chili's. And he kind of rolled off a couple of them. I said, hey, let, let's just start it this way. I said, let's go a little bit further down on Sir, and you start. And I said, there's a Blake's there. I said, most people pass that one because it's not real close, but there's a Blake's there. It's next to the Chevron. I said, you go a little further down, and you hit Carl's Jr., now a Panda Express, a Wendy's, and behind that, there's a Little Caesars. I said, across the street, there's a Chili's, and there is a five guys. There's a Sushi King, and there's also a, um, a Cold Stone. Yeah, there, there's a Cold Stone that's there, and I'm not sure if that counts as a restaurant or not, but it is a good place to eat at. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll include that in it. There's also a Papa Murphy's if you want to take your restaurant home with you. Then you have Burger King, Starbucks, Sonic. So you go to the other side of the street, there's a Saigon 2. Uh, around the corner, there is a KFC, and next to it, there's Goodwill, and then next to that, there's an Elma Skeet Market, which has a restaurant inside. Then you go a little bit further down, there's a chill zone in there. Go across the street, there is a Dairy Queen. I said, you start bouncing around, and you can even go next to that. There's a Bob's Burger. If you go a little bit further down, there's another McDonald's in there. Oh, there's also a McDonald's inside of Walmart. And he kind of went, wow. I said, you know how many of those buildings have signs? Every single one of them. So you know how many people go inside them because of the signs? Very few. Signs become white noise. I said, we know why we go into those restaurants? You're hungry. You're hungry for something to eat. And you know that they have something good inside that's going to satisfy that need and i said you know what it's also because if i told you right now it's 1006 so we could you could use a breakfast illustration of some sort that carl's jr just has an amazing breakfast sandwich and i talked about the the egg and cheese biscuit and the sausage that they use on and i really got your mouth watering you know what you're gonna be thinking about you're gonna think about going to carl's jr because i evangelize to you not about god but about food but the same thing happens right here in this building. That's the reason why I don't think we need to spend $5,000 on a sign. Now, granted, it would be good because we are on Northern and people drive by. But how many people are going to see the church because it says Paragon Church on the side of it? Versus how many people are going to see the church because they see it in you? That was my question to you today. As we go, as we are, as we are walking out, um, you know, that is something that has is, that is held with me. And even going to that evangelism conference and hearing that idea that the word witnesses is actually martyrs. When it says, can I get a witness? You know, we got that whole idea yeah can i get a witness you know and they had that whole thing even lebron james had it i think at one point in time before he left cleveland for miami they, oh can i get a witness can i get a martyr ah it's a little bit tougher to swallow when you say that but that that's kind of what's laid out there well not even kind of that is what is laid out there we don't like that because it's not quite as good of a sales technique so um i'm just glad that that god uses us anyway even though <laughs> even though we uh, we choose to choose to disobey sometimes or most of the time or whatever it is but but as you go out I pray that you are a sign to get people not just to come to church, but people to come to God.